today we are going to be talking about PKM. Hang on. Hang on. Oh, Do we yeah. not want to kind of discuss the updates first? The updates? Well, we're not just the PKM podcast anymore. See, I, 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 want, I wanted to discuss it, but I wanted to discuss it in this episode because I may change it again in my head. Yeah, I know. Real good. Do we start there or do you want to go straight in with the sexy stuff? I think we just go straight in because I reckon it will come up in the conversation anyway. All right. Because like like the title will say, PKM is overcomplicated. Uh, The the reason I want to discuss this during the episode is because in my head, I was doing a lot of thinking, you know, as us PKMers do. What is PKM? Um, And it's basically overcomplicated education. (laughs) one of my damn points <laughs> in my comments <laughs> I, I, did I that, saw that trigger something for you or were you already there so the the point i put the point in i think on like tuesday wednesday tuesday wednesday this week inside the pgm is overcomplicated file uh when i looked at your comments this morning i was like hold up john did you look at my notes <laughs> no, no. <laughs> it was why i was just i was like oh wait because it was it was Domos's. Because I looked at it this morning. I was up really early this morning because this week has been fun. Um, and I looked at it. I was reading Domos's comment. And I'm like, oh, is it? So I was, yeah, awesome. Yeah. So um, we're we're, we're going to dive into that a little bit. And then I've got a couple of other points from. I got one point from a, a video I watched about the American education system. For those unfamiliar, I'm currently looking into the UK education system, which doesn't really exist which i can allude to more like go into more detail if you want but but yeah we'll discuss that um and then adhd as a general thing it's it's a it's a theme that's popped up a few times this week and i want to discuss it a little bit more uh, especially as it relates to some of the comments from previous episodes so do you want to do you want to head in first with uh, your top comment because i think it relates to what i want to discuss about with the adhd stuff yeah let's let's dive straight in the deep end your top comment let's go so, yeah, um, one of uh, Davos's comments was around ADHD and the before and after diagnosis. And I think it was something relating to learning how to have ADHD. I think that was that was what I got from it as a very bullet point summary, losing all of the, the lovely <laughs> context surrounding it. But that's what I took from it straight away. And it's really interesting um, from my experience as someone who was diagnosed not with ADHD, but with ASD. Um, I don't think I learnt learnt how to behave autistic afterwards uh, from my diagnosis. It just, it provided me with another perspective of like, oh, that kind of makes sense based on actions and things that I was already doing. Like what I was already doing made a little bit more sense and why the reactions I got from the people that I spoke about as I was in a very non-neurodiverse space that's a whole nother ball game which I'm sure we can play with in a minute um but like it made a lot of sense of my own real experience versus the diagnosis was fine it didn't really give me more than just ah that kind of makes sense these are the things that i want and need and there's a name for it okay and then i kind of just carried on (laughs) 
I did a very well. It was still part of my identity, but it was a part, not the entire, which I think has always been the case for myself in in, in my own head. Um, I'm I'm proud to be autistic. I don't think it's a bad thing or a good thing. It just I've reached the point for me and after our discussions and all of the stuff that, because I know I'm coming from that context now, like it's just a part of who I am. And it's always been a part of who I am, but not all of who I am. Um, nothing's really changed apart from the fact that I'm going after, I'm changing the environment that I'm in to be able to work with me, to be able to fit with what my needs are, whether they are needs because I'm autistic or whether it's just because I'm an individual human who has an individual need, it they're kind of one and the same to me. Not saying everyone has autism, not saying everyone has a little bit of this and a little bit of that. But for me, my experience of this is the whole experience of who I am. These are the things that I need in my environment to do what I do best. And I think that's kind of uh, from from that direction. When it comes to the kit, did you have comments on that first before I moved on to kind of no, no, you, you, you carry on. Yeah. So when it came came to the to the twins, um, because they are both for people who don't know, I have two children, twins, um, and they are both diagnosed um with autism, um, and it's quite interesting because my son is very much, I see a lot of me in him. I hate that, but it's the best way of explaining it and what it's commonly seen as, like his brain works alarmingly fast he has similar traits that I do and he has the diagnosis it was originally high functioning however that is no longer used because it's a it is classed as offensive because you've got high functioning low functioning it's really weird yeah um and it's just another like sub label which doesn't really make sense does not add to the gravity of the situation um and then my my daughter is almost on the opposite end of that spectrum but she's she's still highly highly autistic whatever that means like she's autistic but it's it's almost the exact opposite in her experience and how she experiences it and her needs are very different to to my son's needs and having the diagnosis one allowed us to fight in the schools to make sure that they actually got what they needed uh, primarily was the reason why we did it, which just, yeah. School I would love to say, I mean, I could rant like hell right now about the education system in in, in schools because my son is going through hell, but... Just, yeah, we'll have to be specific. That's primary to secondary education in the UK. Yeah, primary to secondary education in the UK. And I'm... Oh, well, <clears throat> I guess I should be more specific in England because in England, it's different yeah. in Wales and Scotland and Northern Ireland. I know it's so silly. I've been smashing my head against the wall for the last like five days. Okay. Um, and so that was the primary reason for the diagnosis there. But also it it gave it gives me a language to communicate with Aiden, my son. Um, my daughter does not care. She's happy in her own little world and it's wonderful. And I and I love that for her. But for him, he's very much I think I read something somewhere where it was like too smart now i don't really like the language around that it's like what does that even mean but it 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 the assumptions you you made when i said that not you but everybody else is like yeah that makes sense like he's too too smart for his own good in other words he's self-aware as hell which is great yeah and not 
Um, I, and so, I, so I think when it comes to the, the whole smart, intelligent thing, it all comes down to comparison. And as soon mm. as you bring comparison in between other humans, it gets very messy very quickly. Yeah, and this is this is something that I'm experiencing now because uh, my family are very much comparison. Like the rest of my family are very comparison game, comparing this and that, and they're starting to do that with with my son. And so I'm like, no, we cannot go there. I'm not having that for you because it will just it will mess you up. Because the moment you start comparing, which we will naturally do to some certain degree, to some certain extent, but Basically, if I can introduce an ecological perspective in my 10-year-old child right now, he's going to kick some ass. And it's going to be amazing for him. Because I wish I had that at 10 years old. It'd be amazing. I want uh, I want there to be a little bit of a d distinctive difference here. Comparison and competition are different things. Mm -hmm. I, I know they sound very similar, but they're different things. Because you can have healthy competition and unhealthy competition. But there is very rarely, in my mind anyway, a healthy comparison with other people because there is always nuance there is always a difference somewhere so if there is going to be a healthy comparison all of the differences have to be upfront and said and mm -hmm. the the differences in the differences also need to be compared such as where people start where people end their process through and like i said it just becomes extremely messy so the comparison therefore a lot of the time is shallow which means interpretations are often oversimplified or misunderstood and can lead to loads of, or literally anything that you want, uh, which is where actually <laughs> one of the, one of the points will come in later. Where I want to go a little bit sideways on this related to my ADHD point is that I, I had this thought, um, I know dangerous. Uh, <laughs> and I was curious this is hypothetical. I don't know if it exists. Probably does. But if someone was to do a daily vlog, like uh, a, a day in my life video, and they have ADHD, but they're not diagnosed, then they get diagnosed and then do the same thing. What would the differences be? Because they now have the diagnosis, is it a daily vlog with ADHD or how I manage my life with ADHD? Like, obviously, the title is going to change slightly. But what does the actual content of the vlog look like, assuming the storytelling and all of that sort of editing stuff is still the same? Would there be a difference? And if there isn't a difference, which I would argue there wouldn't be, then what what is the label doing for that for that labeling of the the video sort of thing? Like those questions just came to mind. My my gut instant reaction is marketing. Yeah. It is a it is a marketing thing. Because it wouldn't, I don't think it would, perhaps, what... Exactly. I was like, hmm, I don't, because when so I hear... Here's where, here's where my brain went with that. It's like, one, I think there would be... I mean, It depends on the type of person who's creating the content as well. Assuming they are self-aware enough to create a quite in-depth thing where they're actually talking about everything, not just, whoa, look at my life, <laughs> look at me. It is like an in-depth kind of thing pre-diagnosis i think perhaps they would still miss things out that they're ashamed of and i think perhaps potentially if they got the diagnosis of adhd adhd that was already weird way of saying it if they had the diagnosis they would then have a reasoning behind their 
problems, which means they'd be more forthcoming with things that they're actually struggling with rather than having the kind of slice of life situation. Because when you, that, that, that's kind of my like, that's my like, ooh, that, that's my gut. Like, that's my instant reaction with very little thought and just vocalizing. It's, it's very much that. And that's exactly what I've seen. So the last couple of videos that I've watched are creators coming out saying, uh, I think the most popular one I can think of off the top of my head is the Sarah Dietschy one. Because, Dietschy, yeah. yeah, Jesse obviously mentioned it in, the, in his newsletter. And that video to me was very frustrating because when you compare Sarah's older vloggy style videos to that one, there is literally no difference apart from the language that she's using in the video saying that she she recognizes she has ADHD. And then she started saying things of there are things wrong with me. Yes, there was a caveat right at the end of the video where she said maybe it shouldn't have been wrong. It should have been something a little bit different and use more positive language. But in her in her language throughout the video, she naturally went to what's wrong with me? I felt this was bad or my brain works different and started adding in all of these assumptions from cognitive psychology and information processing, which, as we've discussed previously, don't actually help. So what, what I find interesting in, in this sort of dynamic is that the label changed the language that she uses to describe her life. And in doing so is forcing or encouraging a way of thinking. And that way of thinking is built up because of due to the label that she now has with the diagnosis. I'm not saying it's a bad thing. I'm not saying it's a good thing. I'm just saying it's something that I'm observing. It's constrained there. If we use exactly, that, like, it, it is yeah. a constraint that has been added. And so, to... see, that's quite interesting. And and I'm not sure whether it's different. I mean, if there are people who have the diagnosis of autistic or suspected autistic in the audience, I notice quite a difference between people who are diagnosed with ADHD and people who are diagnosed with like just ADHD or just autism, like. From my experience of people with autism on online, one, they don't talk quite as much about it. No, like it's it's quite interesting. Like ADHD is more like spoken about. Um, I'm going to say on, popularized. More pop, yeah, more okay. popularized on the internet, which is quite interesting for me as an uh, autistic. Autistic. Um, my hypothesis there is because it's easier to associate with ADHD, so it's easier to misdiagnose through self-diagnosis, which means you get more people speaking about it. I think it's harder for people to misdiagnose autism because the information out there currently isn't as big as ADHD. And when you look at the list of autistic traits and ADHD traits, ADHD traits are much easier to be seen inside of typical normal air quotes um people because they're traits that everyone will have there are autistic traits that not everyone will have which makes it harder for people that aren't as educated about these neurodevelopmental disorders if that's the label we were going to use for them um have <laughs> and, yeah. and i i think i think that's a good thing for autism but i also think it's uh a misleading thing for ADHD. And one of the biggest comments that struck out to me when I tweeted about this, this idea is I got three or four responses saying, but if they're not diagnosed, how do you know they have ADHD? Well, according to the DSM-5 and all of the ADHD research, it's something you have, you, you don't develop it. 
it's something that you have yeah which... it's something you have for, it's the same with autism they are from birth and you see the signs from birth it's hard to notice that this was my experience like when i was diagnosed it was like oh all of this from my past makes a heck of a lot of sense as i was saying earlier like all of this stuff makes so much sense that explains this. That explains that. That makes sense. Now, this is why I never understood this. Why my brain always does that. That's why I'm able to kind of see fucking eight, nine, ten different things all at once, because that's just, you know, that is one of the traits or things of of, of autism. And it was. Yeah, it was. But it wasn't like looking forward. I was looking back. I'm like, this made sense. <clears throat> Excuse me. This made sense. This made sense. It kind of revealed stuff for me um, that I just thought were weird quirks. And when you talk to autistic people on the internet, they all think it's weird quirks that they had. And really, it's part of this autism thing. I'm glad you said that, because that's exactly what I was I was thinking. I was like, what, what do you call it? Because... When when it comes to labeling things, humans love to label stuff. That's why we have like we do, so many yeah. words and and dictionaries and thesauruses and overcomplicating so much stuff. PKM. Um, <laughs> and but it's quite interesting because this is the thing. Like the labels, uh, as as was discussed in our previous episode or episode before, like episode before. labels are fascinating. Mm. Like they're really interesting, and it, and it's interesting because there's a lot of labels that recently I've been playing around with, because it's like, does this represent part of who I am? And this is why I find metaphysics something really interesting because labels inside of metaphysics is essentially the the points that you would put onto something. It's something you would attach. It's like a factor of, um, or an attribute of something. Uh, and this is where I'm going to move into one of the other comments uh, from previous video is Dovis was talking about why magic inside of fantasy books isn't explained. It's not explained in detail. And there's a reason for that, because when you try and explain it, it doesn't make sense because magic isn't real. It's not a thing. Uh, and when we try and explain other topics in other areas, I think it's the same. When people use language, they use labels. But when they try and explain those labels or explain those categories or explain why those attributes mean something, they get stuck. They either dig themselves a hole into some ethical or moral dilemma that just doesn't make any sense. So they end up arguing against themselves or making themselves look silly, or they end up going, I don't know, and then get frustrated normally because people get emotional in arguments and then they just don't care. Insert loads of like politicians and people just arguing and sending insults like that's because they don't fully grasp what it is that they're talking about which is what i love doing i love probing those points and i like people probing those points back to me and i go mm, i don't know existential crisis for like a couple of minutes and now let's uh, let's dive in and find out what's going on and those those sorts of questions and discussions are the ones that i would want to be involved in but as soon as you bring in labels uh, and categories you have deliberately simplified things into a label. Every label has assumptions. That, that's why they're there. Humans work with heuristics. And in order to have a fully nuanced and deep conversation, you need to really dive into those heuristics, why you're using them and what you're doing with them. I'm, I'm also like, we're in the internet world, and I don't think having these conversations is very easy. 
in the way it, it's possible but i i'm not sure if we're going general population not mm -hmm. the wonderful humans that listen to our podcast and stuff like this when you go into the when the reason i say this is because i've uh, i went to a retreat i think it was last year and it was basically people all who identify as some form of neurodiverse i will always use neurodiverse not neurodivergent because divergent assumes an us and their mentality just i still can't ugh. but yeah um you're used to it, <laughs> i did i did used to but as i but it never sat right with me like i said it because it was what you say and then it was like that epitomizes yeah, exactly which epitomizes the point but then when i started to question it thanks to probing from you as always um it was like yeah no i don't like that i don't actually i i knew that i was uncomfortable with that language but i didn't probe it which is what you were talking about then but when i spoke to neurodiverse individuals there was a much greater and more nuanced conversation around things like identity gender everything was much more of a nuanced conversation because it was one-on-one -on -one people actually having conversations and and like having conversations <laughs> like these types of conversations and it was interesting how it doesn't seem to transition or at least in the environment that i'm in and the things that i am able to see i don't see it happening on the wider internet and in public and it's probably why we're doing stuff like this i think it's there everyone has an opinion but most people take their opinions from people they perceive as more knowledgeable than them which is why you get the group mob mentality of that person can speak for this group of people or that person is really intelligent i i I listen to them. I believe them because humans are lazy. We're naturally lazy. I have lazy. a PhD, so that means I know everything. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's, it's not just that. I mean, a lot of people with PhDs, they'll always look up to someone. Like everyone will have someone they look up to and be like, that's the person that knows more than me. I'm I'm going to follow their philosophy and ideas. Uh, unless you're like the leading person in the world on the topic, <laughs> there's always someone to look to. But even, even if you are that person, you're still looking across side to side with other people near you that are pushing their own directions. So there's always someone that people are looking at for answers. So when it comes to having these conversations, most people don't or haven't gone into the depths because they've just followed whatever the, the role model happens to be, whoever that happens to be. Uh, and I think when it comes to having these conversations in a, a broader sense, you can't do it on the internet because you can't have five people in a conversation. I mean, with two people, it's okay. Three people is a struggle. Having four or five people with a conversation this deep, everyone is going to have half an hour's worth of a point on everything that's made because of their life experiences. And having those conversations would take far too long. So people assume things people use heuristics people use categories and labels to jumble stuff together but with all of those words comes assumptions which obviously makes things very complicated so the only way in my mind to really move forwards is with <laughs> a divergent education or diverse education which is where each individual explores their own understanding of topics and ideas and in an ideal world differentiated differentiated education is what you'd happen in schools and everything but 
teachers can't do it. <laughs> yeah. Something that I watched the other day was probably everyone has seen it by now, anyone in this group anyway, but it was where um, there was an AI conversation between Bill Gates. I'm not sure whether it's an AI version of Bill Gates or actually Bill Gates. I think it was an AI version uh, of Bill Gates and Socrates and an AI version of Socrates. Oh, yeah. And one of the things that Bill Gates, whether it was real Bill Gates or AI Bill Gates, don't remember, um, was saying was like it allows for an individualized education. And I was like, yes, but <laughs> my reaction was, you're not wrong, but. This is where, for me, ecological dynamics plays a really nice role. Because you can have the organism, but the organism is in an environment. So when the organism is self-organized by themselves, individualized environment, education. But when they're with other people or in another environment, that self-organization needs to mold and change into the environment that they're in in that situation. Which is where, for me, looking into the UK uh, education system at the moment, homeschooling is really interesting. Because we think of a lot of the time homework as a bad thing. There's a negative connotation added to homework. Have you done your homework yet? No, I'm going to get a detention. Like that sort of like path. But when you reframe homework as homeschooling and just say, okay, what are you learning at home? Well, homeschooling can be being on the internet or playing games or watching YouTube. That is homeschooling because you're learning through the experience of internet information. So I know this may be really weird and out there, but could a teacher set homework to watch two hours worth of YouTube on a topic? I think that is a valid Same. use of homework, homeschooling, because they're still learning. And I would argue learning more through their own self-directed education through YouTube than doing some homework questions set from the lesson that the person probably got bored in anyway and that just reframing of homeschooling or homework to homeschooling in my mind made me question okay why 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 can't we do this so <laughs> i love this home education conversation because where my brain's at too because mm -hmm. i'm considering it for my son because if the, if i the, take the homeschooling rates have flown through the roof since covid yeah and and it's it's something that I've been thinking about very strongly for, for Aiden, primarily. I don't think every child benefits home education. What do, do you I, mean? Do I? What, what child isn't on their phone yeah, or on a computer learning something? Yeah, good point. <laughs> I, re I retract my previous... Yeah, as soon as I said that, I was like, no, nah, that's a bunch of shit. Um... I, I I do the same thing, but most of the time I'm not in a recording when I'm doing that. <laughs> yeah. Um. I, okay, I retract my previous statement. Yeah. I don't um, think every parent, and that's the that's what I mean, can provide that environment or would so have the. Are you talking homeschooling as in a parent becomes the teacher? Oh yes, I am. But that's not necessarily the that that wouldn't be needed at all because it would be self-directed by the student all the student would have is a constraint given by a teacher from school 
So the practice environment is given by the teacher, coach, whatever, to the student. The student can then choose to do it or not do it or change it in another way. All the teacher would need to do, if they even want to, is say, okay, what did you find out? What did you learn? What did you make? Where did you go? Because just saying, hey, look at, because we're talking about education, look at the UK education system for two hours on YouTube and come back with something interesting. Maybe they come back and say, Wales have come up with a new curriculum that has nothing to do with the UK education system and only specifically Wales. And maybe they go really deep into the Welsh new curriculum. Someone else in the class went away to look at the UK education system and went, wait, Scotland don't have to pay for undergraduate degrees. The students don't have to pay for tuition fees. Hey, what? Like, wait, exactly. Yeah, th this is what I'm reading. I'm like, how, what? And then someone goes in that direction. It's still under the bracket of UK education system in two hours, but someone's gone, Wales have a new curriculum that's not the same as England or Ireland, Northern Ireland or Scotland. And then Scotland, the, the undergraduate students don't need to pay their first year tuition fees for undergraduates because it's paid for by the Scot Scottish government. You're like, sorry, what in the world's going on? And those two students only had two hours to look at YouTube education. Like that is drastically different, but they've looked at things that they found interesting. So, question, which I already know the answer to for myself, but I, I'll bring it into the conversation anyway. Is that education? Yes. Uh, obviously it is, I know. But that that's also the... Because one of the things that have been in my head of, like, you know, for my little boy... So, very quick. In England, not the UK, in England, there is a difference between leaving school age and mm. leaving education age because you leave school at 16 but you leave education at 18 i think it might be the other way around i can't remember i need to correct those words if not but yeah so in england at 16 you leave school but you have to stay on for two years but you're not necessarily in school because you could be doing an apprenticeship or a, a traineeship i think it's traineeship or whatever it is um or you go sixth form or college or post 16 or a whole bunch of other stuff but between 16 and 18, you're not technically in school, you're in education. And then, and then you go on to, so that's further education. Then you go on to do higher education. And you're like, so what is education? Because higher education doesn't have an age limit. So we're always in higher education. Technically, we're just not doing mm -hmm. a certificate under a board because we're now working this, in the world. Yeah, this my brain is just going everywhere right now because obviously... Um, for context, my little boy is being basically forced by the UK government to go into a school that does England. not have uh, what England, England <laughs> government. All right, fine. That didn't sound as good. Sound no, I know, right. I know, but it's, it's got to yeah. be specific to England. Otherwise, my head now I'm like not quite because in other parts of the UK you don't have to. Yeah, they have tried to make him go into a certain setting that is not the environment that he needs that i believe he needs to learn to have that experience and so as we're like having this conversation my brain's like wait why am i even trying why am i putting him in an environment i know is not suitable for him what reasons am i giving that i think this relates really nicely i know this is going to be a quite kind of out there tangent um but my second point is about davos and he said borrowing another author's world to tell your story 
Oh, right. I know exactly where you're going with this. Can I play? <laughs> Go for it. I, I think I basically I am. For, this is what I got from that, that point, linking the two together. It's like in this world that we are in, the ecological, dynamical world. I am looking at my little boy who currently is in the IP world, and I am assuming he's in the IP world, but he doesn't have to be in the IP world. And literally, I don't even know how many minutes ago it was, I literally went, if I could give him an ED perspective at the age of 10, I would. And now my brain's just gone, that's home education, isn't it? Like, it could be, because the school system is not built on an ecological perspective and it going even work. going going even further though the and, rest my, of... and my like and my assumptions that i'm making is basically borrowing from another world and borrowing from the ip world <clears throat> and the reason why he's still going right now is because of the other world and i'm putting him in that world so when he came to me this morning he's like oh i really want to do youtube and i'm like yeah why not? Um, and and when you were talking about like that constraint, I'm like, I can literally go in there, right? You can go on your tablet, research video editing. Go on. And I don't care where he goes. If it comes out the skill, he go nuts. He'd have every fun. If it weren't for the fact we were recording, I'd be running in there and telling him now. But still, like that right there is really exciting. Why am I? That that to me is something that I would want to teach other kids. It's 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 not teaching the, the child a curriculum or a syllabus or a thing. It's teaching them to learn. Obviously, it's something that all the governments, all the OECD countries want to try and do. But the only way you're going to do that is giving them the opportunities to do that. Now, I'm not going to say to take people out of formal education, because the way formal education works is the way the majority of the world works. Hmm. So to me, what would be even better is if you give a child a perspective where they can work and learn i.e create their own environment in the school environment to get the outcomes that the teachers want now they've learned how to develop their own environments inside of a constrained one rather than pulling them out and going okay we're going to do this over here because you've removed all the constraints from the traditional system and said okay we're going to do it here if you keep them in the system, but you help them through that, i.e., okay, your teacher wants you to do this. How are other ways you could do this? What are other options you could do this? And obviously there's going to be other challenges inside of a school system that you won't get at home. Like if you are just at home, you won't get the interactions between teachers, interactions between other people. So there are things inside of formal education and formal systems that you wouldn't get at home, but yeah. you can still do the homeschooling and you can still have an ecological perspective inside of a school environment. I developed my ED perspective inside of university, like right towards the end. But if I had developed that in primary, maybe secondary education, my school life would have been far easier. I what wouldn't would have that look like? I'm quite intrigued now. I, I think that would look very similar to the educational systems in Finland, Estonia and other um, countries of OECDs that have moved forwards with their education curriculum. Um, not China, not Singapore. Yes, they're at the top of OECD countries, but they are militaristic in their education. Uh, <laughs> it works. You will but... have to expand on that. please. <laughs> um so, for example, the, the Chinese educational system... I oh, have, no, not that bit. I meant the other bit. Oh, the, the Finland-Estonia stuff. Yeah. Um, so they have, like, no homework. 
like they, they just don't get homework at all um they their school days are extremely short i think they have like a three some some uh, schools in finland have like three days worth of school um i think the average hours in school is like 18 a week whereas in the uk it's minimum of 32 and a half um so yeah there's there's less school hours there's like no homework there's loads of self-directed work um and a lot of it how would you develop that in the current uk environment how would you develop that system in the uk you wouldn't the uk system would have to change yeah their entire system the question i'm asking let's say how do you get your son to yeah adopt those sorts of sort of views the way I would do it in my head is each lesson is a constraint. Obviously, you're going to learn this subject. How does that, like the first question in my mind, how does this subject apply to the real world? If it doesn't apply to the real world, how can you make it apply to the real world? Because it's obviously being taught for a reason, just because of the way the IP view looks at information, it pulls it into parts. So you kind of need to reconstruct the parts it's been pulled from, which it's basically re-engineering <laughs> the world. So when when I look back at, at maths, I would look at math and go, okay, I'm doing algebra. This is so decontextualized. I don't understand why I'm doing this. So this is what I, I, I did with one of the guys that I used to coach football with. He didn't understand algebra. I explained it to him through football. Uh, and I said to him, okay, if I, I got 15 footballs in the bag, there's five over there, there's four over here, and there's seven there. What am I missing? Like, I, I must be missing some. Um, and he was like, well, add that, add that, add that, and then that's the difference. I'm like, yes. So that's A, that's B, that's C, that's X, and this is the number. How do you find out what X is? And then you go through basic algebra and work forwards, because then they can see the algebra in the real world. Um, so it's recontextualizing it. It's what teachers try and do. But it's very hard to do with the amount of time that teachers get to actually plan lessons for, for students. They just don't get the time to do it. So if the student can do it themselves, one, it saves the teacher time. And two, it helps the student understand the world um, through the subjects that's being taught. Yes, it's going to take time for the student to do that. It'll probably take longer than them to for them to do that than just follow the instructions of the lesson, because that's how the lesson's been built, which is where I think a coach or a teacher should be helping <laughs> them going, okay, how can I help explain this through a different lens? Which is where at the moment parents have to get involved. If the parent doesn't understand the subject, they can't do that. Mm. Which would be in my eyes where the student then goes, okay, I'm going to home educate myself and understand this thing. If they care enough, if they don't care enough about it, I wouldn't even push them to do it. I'd be like, do something else. Like <laughs> there's no point. One, one of the arguments about um, the education system is it doesn't teach life skills. Sorry, even, even if I was 15, 16, year 11, if I was taught taxes, I wouldn't pay attention. I do not no. care about taxes at 15, 16. So why would you put it into school? Oh, because when you leave school, you need to know how to do taxes. Well, even if I was taught taxes in school, which I might have done, I don't remember because I didn't care. I would still need to redo it again anyway. <laughs> Because <laughs> I didn't actually need to worry about taxes until I got a job, which was like two two years, arguably, after my master's degree. Mm. So what's the point of te teaching a subject that isn't relevant? Humans forget things. That, uh, uh, what is it? Use it or forget it? Something like that? Use it or lose it. There you go. Yeah. And if you're not going to use it, then you'll lose it. So there's no point teaching kids to do stuff that you need in adult life if they're never going to use it again. Mm. 
I mean, that is a lot of the curriculum, but then that's that's like the whole curriculum thing and what should be in a curriculum and teachers are trying to change it, but changing a whole curriculum is difficult. That's why I think the Welsh system or the new Welsh system is interesting to me. Uh, the Scottish system is also interesting. The English system is frustrating. Um, but yeah, that's that's a, a sideways conversation. So um, your your next point is uh, an interesting one, I think, to... I mean, we we kind of touched on it. Yeah. It's like memorising things that you don't want to. Yeah. Like, making it matter, I suppose that's the... It's a Don Ross's comment again, which I don't remember the context around. Apologies. Um, it was like, do I want to memorise it? Making it matter. I'm going to sneeze to talk for. Okay. Yeah. When when it comes to the memorizing and learning, I also had a, a point on that. And I think when it comes to learning, a lot of people assume learning is learning in something in specific, uh, where in my mind, I would say learning is something we do without conscious thought. Whenever we experience something, we learn something. We can't not learn. But what we can do is we can not learn how to develop a skill. <laughs> like I don't want to learn how to knit because it doesn't interest me. If I was in an experience where I had to knit, then I would learn how to knit for that experience. Would I probably forget it? Yes, because I don't want to retain it. And yeah, maybe when I get put back in that environment, I'll remember parts of it because of achievement of focuses etc but i'm not going to sit there and go i'm going to learn to knit unless you care about developing that skill this kind of relates quite nicely and also a lot of the educational system the uk england educational system is test focused you're not learning for learning you're I think learning that's the uk system that's a uk thank you yeah the uk system is around tests you're not you're memorizing to complete a test not england is certainly worse for this <laughs> I, I personally see it as almost separate it memorizing and learning don't feel the same but i feel they're often used so, th this is where it comes back to the the camera or the video the verbs v nouns yeah the, i'm going to remember that or how do i remember this yeah. And with a test, you need to remember it for a snapshot, a yeah. two hour window for a test where if you're learning something for a uh, an experience or expertise in a skill, you're looking to remember it consistently. I, how do I remember this when I next want to do it or when I next yeah. want to develop the skill do this thing learn something that's somewhat related and that where that's where tests are so focused on the picture the snapshot that it yeah, overlooks yeah. what actual yeah. skill development is we know this from so much research look at skill acquisition expertise in any movement mechanic any motor skill um, and even the majority of cognitive learning as well when you look at uh, rote repetition or active recall ugh, retrieval practice um, and, and you look at any of that sort of research it is all <laughs> you giggling i just love your age yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's it, it's all focused on a snapshot in time, but the snapshot in time doesn't work moving forwards, which is why retrieval practice, you can be 
bad at the test originally because they're looking to test you and have degrees of freedom in there, which make it harder to, for you to get the questions right straight up. But maybe two or three tests later, you can actually retain more because you've been tested because you fail the first test because retrieval practice, like pre-testing and post-testing, like all of that is about having a longer period of time and learning how to remember it over periods of time rather than for a snapshot. Yeah. Yeah. It's like one of the things that happened is uh, he's recently had his SATs and one of the homework activities was to revise. But what does that even mean? I uh, know. I didn't make him do it. I was like, do you want to revise anything? Do you feel confident? He's like, yeah. I'm like, all right, then. <laughs> exactly. I, I've spoken to so many people that are very similar to me, probably. Uh, I don't know, probably, because I don't know what your grades were at, uni uh, at school. But I, I never did homework. I only did homework if the teacher called me out that I didn't do the homework. And then I did it in like 20 minutes and then submitted it like the next day. So I didn't get attention. <laughs> and... I didn't really pay attention in lesson. I did the work as fast as I could so I could mess around and talk with my friends. Uh, I, I did not care at all. I was a swat. <laughs> uh, but Although, yeah, to I... be fair, maths was one of the subjects where I was just like, nah, just don't. And then it was great because in my for most of my maths learning and education, it sucked until the last two years when actually the teacher realised hey, you can actually do this if I do it this different, slightly different way. Mm. And then in the end, I became prefects for him and we just messed around most of the time. Yeah, well, but, but that's what I mean. Like, I, I know a lot of people that were not necessarily at the top, but like first set, second set. They're like a solid BA student and they just didn't care. They didn't focus. They didn't do what they were supposed to do, but they still passed all the grades. Like, I, I, I was actually for most, so I've always been a, non-maths person um but as i got to this i was actually told why didn't you go for the the because there was at the time for the gcse there were two papers there was the people <laughs> who just aren't don't even get me started with the assessment system <laughs> <laughs> there was people who like the highest you could go would be a c Foundation at the time paper. which now doesn't exist i think it's now numbers instead because you know that matters in and england then... it's numbers in England, it's numbers, right? In Wales, it's letters. And in Scotland, they have a different system because they don't use UCSEs. <laughs> okay, fair enough. I don't want to research any of that, thanks. Um, I'm, I'm and... working on a video, but it's taken longer than I thought. <laughs> and then you've got um, the higher grades, which could take you up to, to A's and B's mm. and above C's and that. And uh, the teacher, who was great, he literally turned around and went, you do realise you could do that one, right? He said it to both me and my friend at the time. Um, you could do that one. And and we were both like, no, because if I fail that one, I get an, I, I get an F. There's <laughs> like, I can only, I have to do everything correct at the higher level, otherwise I fail. Whereas I could tactically, even though I'm s smarter, smarter. <laughs> had a better understanding of that. It meant I could make it easy for myself and just do the easier exam, which guarantees I get almost top marks which although only gives me a c who cares i don't fail yeah maths was one of those subjects. so for, for context because this is going to sound this could sound really boasty the school that i went to was a church of england school and they were very 
proud of getting lots of high grades and high marks. So those in top sets took their exams earlier. So I actually took um, four of my GCSEs in year nine, <laughs> which is when some people choose their options. Yeah, yeah. So I passed my GCSE in maths in year nine with an A. And then I didn't do maths in year 10. And then I did IGCSE maths, which is supposedly harder in year 11, having not done maths for an entire year, uh, well, entire two years. But yeah, so I did, yeah, I did four GCSEs in year nine and I took the higher papers. And then when I found out that there was a foundation paper, I was like, why would you do that? Because in my head, if you do, it, I think it was like, if you get like 35 or 40% on a higher paper, you'd get a C. It was it was something really low because you get a C mark. Whereas you needed like 80% on the foundation paper to get a C. And I was like, this is so confusing. I, I could literally skip half the higher paper and do the first four or five questions um, of the higher paper, forget the rest and get a C. Or I'd have to do... 11 12 of the foundation paper to get a C I'm like that's so much effort why did you make me do this in year nine um I was so stressed for that exam as well I was like I, I was really stressed I was like, I'm, I'm going into an example because there were there were 20 of us going into an example with year 10s and 11s some of those year 11s this is like their third attempt at the higher paper to pass and there's us year nines going in we're like that guy pushes me into lockers every day <laughs> I'm sitting next to him in an exam <laughs> But yeah, so the, the, the whole exam experience inside of the UK is very, very odd. Um, and with the, so when I was there, you had the foundation paper, the higher paper, and like, like I alluded to, the IGCSE papers as well. But inside of other parts of the UK, which uh, you then have other elements which can jump you into sixth form college, post-16, insert all of the other words that you can replace in there. Um, <laughs> it's, it's crazy. And and so you don't really have a an, an end exam. You've got the GCSEs, which is what most people look at, but there's no real end exam. And don't even get start don't even get me started with grammar schools and academies and the rest of private education. That's just a, a whole other ball game as well. Um, but with these exams, they're only snapshots. And when you actually look at it, I, I said this to my sister because my sister's like four years behind me. You're <laughs> just sitting there laughing. She's she's four years behind me. So she when she was getting stressed for her GCSEs, I was like. Yeah, don't worry. They don't really mean anything because you're going to get into college anyway, even if you fail like most of them. And then at college, it's all about the A-levels. Uh, and then I jumped through to university and then she was really worried about the A-levels. And then I'm sitting here like, yeah, once you've passed the A-levels, like once you've got enough points to get to university, it doesn't really matter whether you get an A or a B. It doesn't matter as long as you get enough points to get to university. Easy. And university is hard to fail. Like you have to try to fail university because universities don't want to be paying all the money. Um, so the education system is kind of rigged so that you go all the way through it because you have to be. You have to go through it to 18 anyway in England, 16 in the rest of the UK. And then when you, if you don't go to university, you, ha yeah, I know. you have to go into a job. And when you go into a job, what happens? Performance assessments. Like everyone is assessed and it just, why, why are we being assessed on such a small thing? I know BTECs are a little bit different because they're coursework, et cetera, et cetera. But still, BTECs have an assessment at the end. <laughs> I love how this title of this episode is PKM is overcomplicated. Yeah, we're, we're going to change that, obviously. We're not even, we're not even in that part yet. <laughs> yeah, we, 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 we will change that to something else. Um, well, 
they, they, they don't they don't know what the title is until they've clicked in the video yeah if you got this far you, you know we changed the title yeah i think bad teachers is the next point we can we can discuss briefly um obviously we, we discussed the homework bit when it comes to bad teachers i don't think there are bad teachers i do however think there are teachers that are not as effective as their job as others and the reason i say i don't think there are bad teachers is because i don't think there is a wrong way to teach because everyone will learn that way because most teachers will teach the way that either they learn or they learned from their own teacher um so i think there is bad teaching but i don't think there's a, a bad teacher um obviously a little bit semantical there but when it when it comes to a teacher themselves i don't think they're going to be bad it's whether the teacher can match the student and the way the student prefers to develop skills in that environment, in which case their teaching is ineffective. I don't think that makes the teacher bad. I just think it makes them an ineffective teacher. You want to challenge that? I think so. I think the assumption, the assumption that I'm gathering from that is assuming that the teacher wants to actually teach. Because I think there are, I believe there are bad teachers and the bad teachers are the ones who are in it to not teach, but just earn money. And they're in it because they don't actually want to teach. Because there yeah. are, I've seen real examples of, of teachers who hate kids, don't want to be there, but are there because it's just a job. And they don't take uh, so I think it, it kind of matches what you're saying, I think. But also I think there's an I, assumption I would... there. I huh? think the the assumption there is when I said teacher, you immediately went like teacher qualified. Yeah, that 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 I, I was intrigued because that's <laughs> fun fact yeah. here in private schools and private education, they don't need a teacher qualification. Um <laughs> ah, I'm gonna go work in a private school. Yeah, but you have to go through their submission process, which is actually kind of like higher. Yeah, you might. So you might be really, really smart in a subject, but not have a teacher qualification. Does that sound like university at all, where lecturers can't teach? Uh, <laughs> anyway, another aside. Um, so when when I said teacher, I'm thinking a person that is encouraging another person yeah, to that, learn that, something. Yeah, because yeah, my assumption went teachers, yeah. as in the the job the role not someone who teaches yeah th this is where the, the labels get so complicated because i would argue a lot of teachers as in qualified teachers are really poor educators they're really poor at educating in environments i'm going to call out some of my um some of my potential peers here but pe teachers are awful there are so many PE teachers that are awful because I, I know this from my own experience anyway, um, or I've gathered this from my own experience. The degrees they go through to become a PE teacher is all about sport and education, which sporty people like PE. I get that. Sporty people don't typically like academia or science. That's normally why they've done sport. Yeah. And my experience with the um, it's PGC course, which is essentially PE teachers at university, I, I asked multiple fourth-year students, so they've been at university for four years, learning to become a PE teacher in schools with children. And I wanted to have a conversation with multiple students about pedagogy, and they'd never even heard of the word. 
pedagogy. But, yeah, the, but because here's my assumption here, you're taught as a teacher to manage children, not taught the subject that you're trying to educate. It's a, like the subject knowledge is assumed you gain through education, moving stuff forwards. Like the, the teacher's role and job isn't education as such. It's managing the class, managing behaviors, keeping people on track for the curriculum, which isn't a, a very large part in pedagogy. <laughs> pedagogy has a lot of psychology involved. Um, and the the PE teachers that I spoke to, they, 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 no, they, they weren't familiar with the majority of things. The self-determination theory, I, I spoke with one of the lecturers about it. A lecturer of PE teachers was unfamiliar with self-determination theory, which is one of the biggest theories in motivation, especially in youth, to being involved in an activity. And I'm like, how does this lecturer not know about this thing that I was taught about in my second year undergrad in sports coaching? So, so getting back to the point, teachers, <laughs> yeah, teachers or professional teachers, I can be ineffective educators, but I don't think there's a bad teacher. Yeah, I think there are ineffective educators with that understanding of the assumption. Yeah, the yeah. the nuances in there, um, uh, and the way I would prefer people move towards is again using like i guess using this home education maybe that's what we call this home education because it's kind of what it's pushing towards is pkm home education there you go um oh spicy i like that <laughs> uh because the, the the people in the pkm space are essentially adults that are interested in learning stuff and go figure it out on their own like they, 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 they go do their own thing why have you put a question mark in the title you silly boy because <laughs> i wanted to oh does that uh, not work oh it wasn't work does it between the two of us does it no it, it says hey sync goes blah 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 no <laughs> there you but i want the question mark because it's a note it's like ooh. uh oh okay I, yeah. I can bring the file back up now. Yeah, no, a sync was just like, oh, there's something wrong with this file. There's a question mark in the heading, in the title. Um, yeah, so I, I, th I think the the PKMers that are out there are those that were interested in learning at school, whether they actually did that or not. And when I say learning, I mean exploring environments and skills that they were interested in. Um, whether they did that or not is, a, is another question entirely. But I think PKMers are people interested in home education or self-directed education, maybe? Yeah. And I, I think those are the sorts of people that are creative, entrepreneurs, potentially, that everyone has that in them. It's just the constraints of school environments don't typically let that out. Mm. Uh, and that actually covers my, my top point of the episode. So you got, a, you got another comment from a uh, previous episode. Yes. Yeah, it was an interesting one, which I think is why we've kind of turned this way. It's great. Uh, Domos was mentioning around keeping track of learning and like keeping. And I, I, my instant reaction was, do we need to? Do we do we? Is that is that necessary? Because it's like. Do, do is that. I go a different. That... I go a different direction. Cool. What does what does keeping track mean? 
that one too is my next question of like what is that what is what does keeping track of learning actually mean of like what what is that what is how do you keep track of learning like is it notes and how many notes you make and well, not necessarily because there are many things that i've watched that i haven't made notes on but does that mean if there are no notes and there's no output, does that mean I'm not learning because the output isn't there? Which means that there has to be output for me to learn, which doesn't make any sense to me at all because I learn through the environment and through the experiences that I have too. And I'm not making notes on every single experience I have, am I? No. So so how do we keep track? And And, and I think he also mentioned around a structure as well, like having a structured learning. And it was, I think it was a follow-up to our previous comp, like the previous post he made around what is a baseline of education? Like what is a, 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 a structured education? And how do we structure that? And the question that I had was, can we self-organize our learning? Yes. Instead of having, well, yes, obviously, duh, that's PKM in pretty much a nutshell. Well, that's my interpretation of what PKM could be, but yeah. <laughs> that's what I view PKM as actually being is self-organized learning. It is it's kind of if if we rephrase learning as developing expertise in a skill. Right? Yeah. If if we just rephrase it like that for a minute and then say can we keep track of that? The answer is yes, because uh, exactly the ability, the ability to perform the skill is the self-organized tracking of the expertise, which Mm. means do we like if, if you ask the question, do we need to track the learning? Well, no, we don't need to track it because if you've learned a skill or you have expertise in a skill, the only way to know whether it's been retained is by testing it and the only way to test expertise and a skill is to do the thing Mm. if the skill is extremely discreet or uh, a really concrete isolated skill then the test is going to be more modular more tradition traditionally like ip led i.e a standardized test if the skill, however, is something more realistic to what happens in life, uh, <laughs> and you need to apply that skill in a context, well, now the expertise is, can you make multiple videos do well on a YouTube channel? Can you sell multiple products in your business? Can you do the job that's uh, a novice, a builder, plumber, whoever, struggles to do in an hour? Like the ability to perform the skill with expertise is the tracking of learning, mm-hmm. which means you don't need a piece of paper or anything. What the tracking becomes is a tracking of performance, which is output. And yeah. as soon as you bring in performance outputs, you then bring in metrics. Then you have, okay, what's a valid metric? What's an ecological metric? And then you bring in all of the science and stuff and say, okay, well, you can manipulate statistics to say what you want and you can interpret uh, values and uh, fiddle around with numbers to your heart's content. But at the end of the day, does the job get done? Yes or no? Mm. So mm. to me, when I when I look at that, I, I go, tracking learning isn't really a thing. Mm. It's, it's yeah. not a thing that I would consider doing or wanting to do. Yeah. 
Yeah, I agree. Yeah. You meant you meant to be more exciting, John. Say say you disagree and argue with me just for the sake of it, and then and then I can and then I can argue. But I don't know what you'd I argue. I mean, for. I can. I'm very good at finding an opposite view. Except I don't believe anything that I say. So <laughs> it'd, be one, be, it'd like... be one of those where you're like, "That's a good rebuttal." I can't think of another one. I'm going to come up with another point that I disagree with. <laughs> that's a good rebuttal. I can't think of another one because that's <laughs> yeah, what I do in my head. It'll be an absolute waste of time. <laughs> Yeah. That's what I do in my head. I'm like, try and find the opposite opinion. I can't think of a valid opposite opinion. <laughs> yeah. Or, or you find one and then you re- you refute it and you're like, it's like, I was going to say it's kind of like in chess where you have like a refuted opening. And if you're playing against an opponent that knows the refutation of the opening, then it's pointless. But if you're playing an opponent that doesn't know the refutation, then you can use the argument to your heart's content. And that's where I think a lot of people like, play in the in the conversation world they they play openings to use this analogy they they use arguments that are refuted but because they're fighting playing arguing against someone that doesn't know the refutation they end up winning and you're like ah. yeah that's a good episode i like this one yeah um last little point there there was a video just just the one. Well, there was actually a lot. Um, <laughs> I, I left the link in there for you to have a look at maybe after the episode. But it was about the American education system. I, I have that as a video planned in the future. But the point isn't about the content of the video as such. It's about the way it was um, done. So the Marketed. video, for, for content, <laughs> for context, the video is 18 minutes long. The last three minutes are an ad for the person's product, which is essentially yes, a course. I saw you tweet this. Yes. Yeah. Um, and then there's a minute sponsorship in in like four minutes into the video. So four minutes of the 18 minutes are advertisements to help the person get money. Okay. That gives me a bit of an irky feeling, but I'll let you off. Okay. So we now have a 13 minute documentary, not an 18 minute one. Then the documentary starts off with the history of the American education system, then goes into the history of the Russian or Prussian education system, then moves forwards to modern times, 1930s, and how the education system and some of the the words of the people that built up this education system are poor. And obviously all of the bad words that you can associate with the people from those from that time, from that era. And you think, okay, yep, okay. The American education system is built off of the times from 1930s. They're sexist, they're racist, they have agendas, obviously business agendas. I understand that. And then they go and say, all these things apply now. And and they skip like 50 years of evolution. And you're like, how is this a documentary? <laughs> and the the documentary comes across as a sale page, sale pitch for their course Mm. and their course does exactly what the other people that he was talking about was doing it's it's teaching people to do things in a certain way to help that person i.e the person doing the video get money and you're like one you're being a hypocrite who you're going against the educational system that you're like you're doing what the educational system is bad like you're doing exactly what you're saying people shouldn't be doing um and then you're talking about a system that you don't fully grasp yourself and it, it oh, it's so hypocritical it's so frustrating and a lot of the comments in the video is what irritated me 
they agreed, but they agreed with points that weren't made in the video. They came up with their own points of argument, which are totally valid, and put them in the video. And the video is closing in on a million views. Well edited, it's got audio, it's, it's the whole like youtube thing. I'm like, that's a really good edited video, documentary style thing, but there's no actual substance. Yes, the sources are all Wikipedia as well. Um, <laughs> but, but there's no actual substance to the argument apart from the system was built with old views. Obviously, every system is built with old views in mind because they're old now. Like, are, are the modern views still that old? A lot of the times, no. It's just the system has been built and it's hard to change those things. And that, that's my frustration with these types of videos is it they're marketed as a documentary and they're marketed as this fight against systems and fight against power. And I'm like, great. Where's your point? Where's your solution? Your solution is for people to buy a course. What? <laughs> instead of going free public education, go buy my course instead. Mm. It just doesn't make sense. Yeah. This is a tangent of heck. Um, but it, it, there, there, is a there is a relation, a link. Um, something that I watched uh, yesterday. And it was just pure pleasure, not watching for learning. Um, but just a that's what that pleasure. video was. I thought, oh, that looks cool. Let's watch that. And then I just got frustrated. And it was really interesting. So um, I watch a YouTube channel called Game Makers. Is it Game Makers? Yeah, Game Makers Toolkit, um, which talks about the development of video games. And one of the games, uh, my partner is currently playing the brand new Legend of Zelda game um, that has just come out. Um, and the previous one, which was um, basically it was the first ever Legend of Zelda that was an open world game. Um, and they had a huge problem because uh, the map was completely and utterly open and you could do anything. And they there was a really interesting um, whole documentary that, that Nintendo did, primarily in Japanese, about how they solved this problem of like people getting either completely lost or following a very linear path. And they were trying to figure out how to make it so that... Basically, I was just watching this and going, ecological dynamics. Ecological dynamics. Ecological, you just have a constraint. Oh, there's an affordance. Oh, there's this. Oh, there's that. Oh, there's this. And I'm just like, shit. <sighs> and it was really interesting because, like, one of the things that I'm thinking a lot about in the business side of things for myself is the programs and courses that I, I'm making um, and their design. And I want to build them from a more dynamic perspective. Which some fucking platforms that allow us to do it, nothing. And the only platforms that do charge fucking amount. I'm just like, ooh. But anyway. Very um, English there. Yeah, it's good, isn't it? Basically, in English, what I just said is that there are too many, there are very few platforms that actually allow you to build dynamic programs, courses, ideas without having to build it yourself in WordPress. Um, and when they do, they cost like three, four hundred dollars a month. And I'm like, when I have a big audience, sure. But right now, no. Uh, so building it myself is the uh, only solution. And and one of, what this video was talking about, you can see it in the um, thing. I think I've got the link there as well. Oh, I do have the link there. Yeah. Um, and it was talking about that their first attempt was to have these towers. And the idea is that it led the players to the story and, and they went from one to one. And the there are roads and 
roads and things and they just but it felt too linear and they were and then the people who were playing as they were playtesting it felt it was incredibly like linear and you just go one direction and everyone just followed the towers and so what they did is they started changing and adding extra things in and then they had the exact opposite problem where it was too much and so they basically created a triangle rule which limits the perspective and so they added loads of hills and stuff and then that gives choice so they can either go around or over it and also because there's a guidance so it, it points them in that direction and gives them an affordance to like go in that direction and then it reveals more and so it provides this kind of dynamic ever-evolving player-driven experience and it's amazing I mean I like it I have a lot of fun in that and I was just thinking in terms of like courses and content and I'm like wouldn't it be so cool to have something like that like because that right there is what I want for a course that I produce is like, I want it to be an open world with direction. So for people can find the towers and go to those towers. And I've been, I'm, I'm playing at the moment with one of, with my Descript course that I'm building of having like, and figuring out, okay, what are, what are the shake towers, which is the kind of like pillars of the direction of my course, of the things that I, I want to teach and share and explain. But then what are the, like you know i can't think of the things that, that happens in there but but what are the other things that that could be in there because they all mean different things for different people and being able to have that open open world exploration but also without it being overwhelming because that's the thing if you have complete freedom it's overwhelming and that was the feedback i got from from community that, that i'm in and what they've done is it was driven by need. So they have, depending on what the person needed, the player needed, different things mattered differently. Mm -hmm. And so they were able to find that. And I'm like, cool, how could how could we do that in courses? How could we do that in programs? Now, it, the easy answer is you can't do it in a static course because it's static and you it can't. It's not possible. So you have to do it live. That's the instant business reaction. So the way the way I've done it and, and using your analogy of a game is I, you, you know, when you have like levels inside of games, you sort of, as you level up, you get access to other areas of the world. Yeah. Um, that that's the approach that I would take in an open world like that is you you can go to that world you can go to that part but all the bot all, all the enemies in that bit are like really difficult to beat so you might as well just go to other things uh, and and that's the the frame of mind that I have so inside of the the courses that I have I've got the fundamentals and the onboarding the fundamentals I have a list of things to go through on a page just a page of these are the three modules-ish of going through. Once you understand that, go to all of the lessons and then you can dive deep into some of the other bits. But even there, if, if you go into some of those sessions, you're like, okay, I'm confused. You may come up to the point where you're like, access denied, access denied, access denied. And when you see that enough, you're like, okay, I really need to go into this. How do I get that? And that's where I have the paid course of Obsidian onboarding on my stuff. So it's not, hey, I'm throwing my course in your face. It's if you want to learn stuff, 
here's the information. This is level one, level two, level three, four is over here. If you really want to get to level five and understand exactly how I work, there's a barrier to that. Obviously for me being a business owner, I need to earn money. So for me, it's a financial barrier, but that could be in a game, experience gain from whatever else um and that's how i've modeled modeled it in my head moving forwards in levels is uh, the obvious level one two stuff is given to you like step by step level three four stuff is just a hey go explore in my case it's search because <laughs> most people when they're at that point they're like i'm gonna go learn this thing or i'm gonna do that thing and as long as the keywords are in the page they'll find it mm. yeah because that's what I'm working on now of like, what would that look like? And I like that. I like what you've got there. Yeah. And obviously everyone can have a look on the website if they want to look specifically into how it's mapped out. I think the biggest, not necessarily limitation, um, but the biggest thing to consider with the openness of the courses that I have is it takes a lot of work and time because there are a lot of fundamental lessons. There aren't duplicates of lessons, but because of the way Obsidian is and it being so extensible, there's a basic lesson on what a vault is, but then there's a further lesson on other things in a vault. But then there's another lesson of how the vault can impact workspaces and working collaboratively with other people with sync vaults. Mm. So it's a progression of the vault. But then there's also a progression of like everything in Obsidian. Uh, and yeah, I think you have a very unlucky, the tools that I would be like Descript isn't quite that yeah. deep. So it will be simpler. Mm. But when you start in implementing other elements of Descript, so, okay, how do I record things? Well, I could record it on a microphone, on multiple microphones to get audio, bring in AI tools into there as well. Maybe you want to add video editing, you want to add multicam, three cams, two cams, whatever, to the video. You'll then be be diverging into different areas that could be its own course or could be part of this world. And to me, in my head, it's all part of one world. It's your editing world. Uh, and my Obsidian courses are my writing world. So it's it's an interesting dilemma between like building a course that is followable <laughs> yeah also extensible because the, it's, the... it's that it's that shake towers where people are guided way too linearly versus the other i, I mean my brain is just like this could be done quite easy. i mean hyper like backlinking in obsidian would be amazing to have that and i suppose you could manually do that sorry I have that in WordPress. I don't have the backlink showing of the linked page. Um, but when you click open a page, I have it so that it opens a new tab rather than it follows you through. So you keep it open. Um, but yeah, having having backlinks in WordPress would be nice. It's something I've considered, but I haven't really looked into. I'm sure there's a way to do it, but I haven't considered it that much. It's not high on my priority list, especially with, um, as you saw, metadata menu had a bit of a I, I had a bit of a time doing that video, so I, I yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's one heck of a video. I'm a, I think I'm about a quarter away. <laughs> yeah, there is there is so much to a metadata menu. And there's there's lots of small things in there which lots of people didn't understand or didn't realize they could do. And even me, like I, I'm at a point where I understand a lot of it, but there are still some pits that go over my head, especially the um, editable data view queries. Like that stuff still is a bit, whew, 
okay. Yeah. Uh, have you have you got any of those in your uh, workspace yet? What the new stuff? No, not yet. I'm the I'm editable data like... view queries. Yeah, no, not yet. That's coming next. I'm just like, yes. Yeah, as soon as you get, as soon as you see like JS in the data view, like, okay, I'm in the deep end now. <laughs> yeah, because some of the stuff I saw, I was like, yes, I want that now. Give me that now. I love the author one. I'm like, oh, damn. <laughs> like basically they're, they're all the literally potential with all of that they're all examples now, i don't actually use quite a few of the fields because i don't need them because of other plugins that i use but they're all different examples of ways you could use it and that was the point of the video the point of the video was to show hey this is something that the plugin can do <laughs> like a so what do you what out of all the features do you use i'm intrigued um, I use most, I don't use the table view. I don't, I don't go in there because I use the editable data view queries inside of the canvas. Um, I obviously I have a video coming out probably not next week, the week after, because I've got something else coming out next week. Um, I don't use the majority of the fields. Like I use an input field for text and I use a multi-select, uh, a single select even, but that's basically it. I just have a lot of single selects. And then I do use a data view query to add the class um, select for yeah, the default. Yeah, that, that, that is one thing that I am immediately implementing. I'm just like, oh, oh shit. Yeah. Uh, I think something else that is kind of underrated is the icons. Right? Mm. Being able to change the icon for a class so I can immediately look inside of my files and see what icon is on it. Untoward, so do yeah. you, so did you, do you now use the subclasses that you... Oh, yeah, you do. I can see pod class podcast. Yeah. Yeah. Because one so, of the things that I had is that it was like, ugh, I don't want to have to have loads of tags. I hate tags. Tags are annoying. I don't want them anymore. They annoy me. So as, I was intrigued to know whether you actually use the class feature you should. Because when I saw the class feature, I was like, fuck, that's really nice. So, so previously, I didn't use uh, the class feature. I used tags. Yes. The, the reason I changed them to class is because um, let's not open up that one inside of essays. So you can see I've got the essay and then I've got the research. So this is the one I'm working on. I have background, which I've got glasses on. And then I have the essay, which is here. And the the tags just became really unwieldy because I uh, mm. actually I, I can go into my classes and show you them all. Uh, so I have quite a few, <laughs> quite a few different classes and these classes go into different points so for example the book class this one mm -hmm. is a what i would class a parent task as, as i was showing then character is part of the book environment is part of the book um story is something different technology is also part of the book and then i've got a yeah, project cause... class which is where's the icon this icon mm. but an essay is also a project and so is a video and so mm. is a story so Mm. Yeah, because this was something that I was like, oh, that's kind of cool um, for for D&D. &D. Mm. Um, exactly. One of the problems that I faced with my D&D &D vault, which now can be solved by this, is at the moment it has one uh, like metadata, a set of metadata that just gets put in all the time. And I'm like, I like that. But then I have players and players need like, you know, their stats. And I'm like, I want more for that, but I want it to still use the stuff from the other stuff. And currently it's Templator that puts that metadata in. And I'm like, when I saw that, my first reaction was like, 
right, I'm going to be spending some time in my D&D vault creating like a character um, sub, is it subclass? Whatever no, it's, it's just a class. Yeah, I'm going to be creating like a character class which adds the additional couple that I need so that I don't have to manually add that in every time. So for those familiar with Tana, Tana has something called super tax and a class in metadata menu replicates super tax. Mm. So you, you can have multiple classes on a file that adds fields in. And as I shared in the video, the fields can be removed afterwards if you just get rid of the class because it's just text on a file. Yeah, it's beautiful. I, I'm looking at that. My brain was just like, I think the one that got me most excited was the class where you can pre-select the classes. And I'm like, <laughs> I got very excited when I saw that the first time. I'm like, that yeah. removes templates. <laughs> like it reduces templates to that. It means that you have so much more modular templates, like even more than you did before. Oh. Yeah, there is so much flexibility. And I didn't go really deep into some of those things. So I'll, I'll, I'll allude to them here. Right. This could get complicated if you haven't heard the video. So if you have a file that has a field or has information in the field that can create a list, that's a dynamic list. And because you can set a select field or a multi-select field from a file, you can have a dynamic list that's created through another file class that becomes the list elsewhere. So you can see, <laughs> yeah, so you can use a file as something that creates a list for a, for a field in a class. So uh, let's think of an example. You've got a character, there's character class, and inside there you've got a type. And the type is being is use is using a file, and inside that file there is a lookup query, and the lookup query is looking for um, a, a monster type inside of a world or all the worlds. And every time you add a monster type in any world, it, it updates the lookup of the type of monster, and then the lookup will update the list, which will update the field inside of the class that's being looked at. Hopefully that made sense. Otherwise that was just like and my brain is like oh my god yes please so you can add a a monster in any world of your dnd thing and it will update a a global list of all monsters which will then update the field inside of um the whatever class you've got yes you can and i have it. a bestiary so i could actually take it from the bestiary folder and then i would be able to easily see the monsters that they are fighting in that um session Exactly. Yeah. I mean, the using that specific example, it would probably be easier just to use a DV query for files inside of a folder or files that match a certain type. So you could say this is a beast type, um, whatever DV query you want to add that to the list, because that way, instead of it being just a list item, you've actually got a file with all the information of that type of beast or character or whatever. Um, but yeah, there, there is a lot of flexibility when you start combining different fields together. And as soon as you get comfortable with data view queries, the, the, the world opens up. You can use Obsidian for literally anything. And I'm looking to um, create a vault influenced by PPV using metadata menu at the corner. I'm quite excited to see that. I mean, I hate PPV. If it never worked for me, my brain was like, this is too constrained. It bugs me. But I am very fascinated by that. 
Yeah, so, well, I, it's been a request for a while, so I think I'll add it. Sweet. Nice. Right. Bye, everyone. <laughs>